Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I would invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn in them to Ephesians chapter number one. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible, and in the back portion of it, turn to page 153, and you would find yourself at Ephesians chapter 1. A number of years ago, I heard a, a story, a very fascinating story, about the prominent newspaper publisher, William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst was one of the wealthiest men of his generation, and Hearst spent a huge fortune uh, collecting art treasures from all around the world. And this one particular day, he was reading a description of some very valued art items, and he said to himself, I want to own those. And so he grabbed one of his assistants, and he told that assistant, I want you to go abroad, I want you to locate those treasures, and I want you to buy them for my collection. And the assistant was actually gone for months. And later he shows up and he says to Mr. Hurst, I found them, Mr. Hurst. They are in your own warehouse. You see, he'd been involved with this frenzied pursuit for something that he already owned. And he was unaware of some resources that he already had. And he failed to review the listing of the resources that he possessed. Now, what I find fascinating is that I think you and I are a lot like William Randolph Hearst. And you go, wait a minute now, William Randolph Hearst? I mean, hey, I'd like to be like William Randolph Hearst. I'd like to be a billionaire. I'd like to have assistants I could send out to do various jobs for me, but I'm not there. But I don't think the similarities are in the arena of how much money we have or the art treasures that we possess. Where we are very much like William Randolph Hearst is we are frequently unaware of resources that we already possess. And often we fail to review the listing of our resources so that we can be reminded of the resources that we already have. Let me ask you a question. How often do you feel inadequate and have a sense of a lack of strength in the everyday trenches of life? How often? And it would be frequently if you're like I am. And maybe you're here today and you struggle with inadequacy when it comes to enduring a difficulty in your life. And you feel this pressure, you feel this weight that is on you and the weight is great but you feel inadequate in the face of that. Maybe you feel that today. Maybe you're here today and you feel inadequate when it comes to just, you're growing weary and pursuing a life of righteousness. And our, our society and our culture is always pushing us and it's attempting to push us over the edge into unrighteousness. Maybe you're a young person and you're just tired of being ridiculed because you're a virgin. Maybe you're just tired of, of not being hip and cool like everyone else, quote, claims to be. 
And you know, the assault of TV and the movies and the internet is always trying to push us and pressure us to think like them, to talk like them, to act like them, and that kind of pressure can feel overbearing, and so we can feel weak and inadequate in the face of it. Maybe you're saying today, that's exactly me. That's, that's exactly how I feel. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're feeling inadequate when it comes to dealing with people, especially difficult relationships in your life. It may be a relationship that you have with a coworker. It may be a relationship you have with your husband or your wife or your children. And you're at the point where you're saying, my patience is tapped out. I feel inadequate for this. And so maybe you're thinking, yeah, bingo, that's me. That's exactly where I am today. Maybe you're here today and you feel inadequate when it comes to sharing the message of life. You know, we know, hey, I'm called to be an ambassador of Christ. I'm called to rescue the perishing. And and, and I'm I'm struggling. I feel inadequate. I I would like to say something to this person or that person. I, I would like to shift the conversation to Christ, but I just feel inadequate to do that. Anyone identify with these things at all? A couple of you. I'm glad that a couple of you are here to encourage me today. But here's the key. We don't want to succumb to our our feelings of inadequacy. What we need to do is we need to know our spiritual resources. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth, and he said this, not that we are adequate in ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 15 to 23, Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and basically he's saying this, I am praying for you. I am praying that you would know your spiritual resources, that you would not go on a a frantic search for something that you already have. And they needed to hear what Paul was writing to them, and Men and women, we need to hear what Paul was writing. I've entitled the message today, Knowing Our Spiritual Resources. And we need to remember that God does not want us to be unaware. He he does not want us to be just hoping for something that is already ours. And so he is going to be setting forth a list of the resources that we possess in Christ. Now, we have a number of verses in 15 to 23, and I'm I'm basically going to divide it into two sections today. First of all, we're going to look at Paul's practice of prayer in verses 15 to 17, and then we're going to look at our specific resources in verses 18 to 23. So that's what we're covering today. Let's begin this morning by reading with verse 15 down through verse 17. I'm going to read it, and I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading here. Verse 15, Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and having heard of your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now let your eyes go back to verse 15. How does verse 15 begin? 
He says, for this reason, which points back to what Pastor Mark covered last week in the first 14 verses of the chapter. Takes us back to the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. And Mark took us through that. You know, it talks in those verses about the blessing of having been chosen by the Father, uh, the blessing of having been redeemed by the Son, the blessing of having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So pivoting off of that sense of our spiritual blessings, he says, for that reason, I too, having heard, verse 15, of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now, we're going to look more this morning at knowing our spiritual resources, but before we go there, I want to just take a brief pause and make three quick observations about Paul's prayer here. And by doing that, we can do a little mini evaluation of our own prayer life. It's just good to do that. And and Paul's setting a pattern for us, I believe, here. So I want to make three quick observations about Paul's prayer. Here's the first observation as Paul prays. Thanksgiving is a constant element when he is praying. Notice he says, I, verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you. When Paul was praying, thanksgiving is a constant element in his prayer. I believe that he was practicing what the author to the Hebrew describes in um, chapter 13 and verse 15, where he says there, speaking of us as a believing group, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What do we mean by that? That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The idea is that thanksgiving is to be a constant element in our praying. And and, and remember now, he is praying for these people at Ephesus, many of whom he'd never met, but no doubt he heard all the stories about them. He was aware of all of their warts and all of their weaknesses, and it's a natural thing when someone has warts and weaknesses like we do to get fixated on those things. But Paul doesn't do that. His focus is on the positive side, and thanksgiving for them is a constant element in his prayer. Second quick observation I want to make about his prayer is that he was specific. He was specific. Notice he says, having heard of your faith and your love, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. He was specifically praying for them. You know, sometimes what happens, when I came to to, uh, the church today, it was pouring rain, so I had to get my umbrella out. I was going to be soaked to the skin. Sometimes, In the Christian community, we like to pull out what I call an umbrella prayer. That's where we're praying and we just say, oh, Lord, would you bless all of the missionaries from Wildwood? Bless them wherever they may be. Or, Lord, I just want to pray for my kids. Just pray generally. Take care of my my kids. Or I I want to pray for, for just everybody at school. I want to pray for all umbrella prayers. But Paul's prayer wasn't an umbrella prayer. He was making specific mention of them. 
Third quick observation about his prayer is that his prayer was not problem-oriented. You know, problem-oriented prayers when we say, Lord, get me out of this, or, or get them out of this. Uh, take away the problem, Lord. But his prayer was not problem-oriented. Now, I, I want to clarify for a moment when I say that, I, I'm not saying that Paul never prayed a problem-oriented prayer. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove it, and he prayed that at least three times. I'm not saying that he never prayed those prayers or that those prayers are always wrong, but that's not the focus of his prayer. It's not the focus of his prayer here, or if you look at his prayers in the other New Testament letters that he wrote, that's not the focus of his prayer, not problem-oriented prayer at all. Well, what was he praying Verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And I'm praying, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that word that's translated knowledge here is a word that means knowledge that is acquired through personal experience. I like the way the NIV translates the last part of that verse. He said, I am praying, Paul says, that you would know him better. That you would know him better. Now, why is it important to pray that? Why is it important to pray? I am praying that you would know him better. Well, no matter what the situation if you know Jesus Christ better, it will make a difference in the midst of living your life, in the midst of a problem. Closeness to Jesus gives us confidence. And that is Paul's prayer, that you would know him better. I was thinking this week how years ago, and the more I thought about it, it was actually many years ago, when you would need gasoline and you would pull into a gas station, some of you who are younger won't even understand this, but when you would pull into the gas station, you actually did not get out of your car. It was amazing. You would pull up alongside the pump and this person would come out and they would ask you, what grade of gasoline do you want? And they would walk over and they would take the pump hose and they would put it into your tank. And then they would come around to you and they would say, would you mind popping the hood for a moment? And they would check under your hood of your car. They would check your oil. They would check your fluid levels. It's a weird thing for those of you who are younger. You should have experienced it. It was pretty nice. Well, I, I want to do something very similar to that this morning. I, I want to do a little spot check because that's really what they were doing with your vehicle. And I want us all to just raise our spiritual hood for a moment. And we've talked about making three quick observations about Paul's prayer, and I believe that Paul is modeling prayer for us. And let's go back through those three things. We looked at Paul's prayer, and we saw that thanksgiving is a constant element in his prayers. And I want you to know, for Bruce, that's the hardest one of all for me. 
Part of it is I, I have this tendency to be very hard on myself. I have this tendency to be very hard on my failures, hard on my weaknesses, and hard on my shortcomings. And not only that, I, I can be hard on other people. It's just not a natural thing for me to have Thanksgiving be a constant element in my prayer. And that's what Paul did. And, he, and, and how was he able to do that? Well, in part, he was focused on the positive, not on the negative. Have you noticed how easy it is to get fixated on the faults and the weaknesses of somebody else? It could be your spouse, it could be your child, it could be a relative, it could be somebody else in the body. Paul didn't go there. He had thanksgiving as a constant element in his prayer. Second thing we observed about him is that he was specific. He was specific. He prayed specifically for people. He even mentioned them by name. And if you study his prayers, you know, in all of his letters, you'll find that Paul did that. He was specific in his prayers. And if you study the the prayers of the Lord Jesus, his prayers were very specific prayers. And, and, and just in recent months, I have been working on that. I became a little convicted about that in my own life. And one of the, the arenas of my prayer life I've been working on is, is when it comes to praying even for my own family. Those of you who know, know that I have four children. Uh, they're all grown children. They're all out of the home. Three of the four are married. And so I've been really working hard on praying specifically for each one of them. Not just, oh, I pray they all work with you, God, but to pray specifically for my children and their spouses, and I have three grandchildren, to pray specifically for those grandchildren. By the way, my son Kyle and his wife Brittany are pregnant again. We're looking, yeah, thank you. We're looking forward to a a fourth grandchild um, this December. But I've, I've been really working on that, being specific in praying for them. And then the third thing we observed is his prayer was not problem-oriented. And what was the core thing he was praying for other people? That they would know him better. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you prayed for somebody else to know Jesus better? It was a core part of Paul's practice of prayer. So what all this just means is it's like going into the, you know, the old-fashioned service station and, and kicking up the hood, and we just need to recalibrate a little bit. So the first thing we're looking at is his practice of prayer. The second thing we want to look at this morning is our specific resources, our specific resources. And you'll notice what he says in verse 18. He said, I am praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. And then he's going to describe three things that he wants our eyes to be opened to. And the first of those is there in verse 18. I am praying specifically that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, here comes the first one, what is the hope of his calling? I believe he's referring there to the certainty of our destiny. And so the first resource that he is reminding us and he wants God to open our eyes to is the certainty of our destiny. 
Now, you, you remember that when Paul was writing these things to those in Ephesus, it truly was a time of despair in that culture. They were living under the harsh rule of Rome, which was very, very difficult, not a lot of freedom in a lot of ways. They, they lived in a culture that was struggling severely with a huge portion of their population struggling with the issue of slavery and all that that meant. Paul lived in a time of despair when it came to just abundant sexual immorality, both heterosexual immorality and homosexual immorality. And and you know what? In in our culture today, there can be, I think there is a growing fog of despair. There's sort of this sense of, of, of growing difficulty that's starting to cloud our culture. You, you know, think about the economic difficulties. Everything seems to be going good right now. What the debt that we have stacked up for our children. And frankly, we live where there's a very fragile economy and it could just teeter over at any time. That leads to some feelings of despair. And, and then the, you have the, the heartache of families that's continuing to grow and grow and we hear the stories and we know the statistics and and you have divorce, and you have abuse, and all of that that it brings. And when we, when we face despair, men and women, we need the assurance that our destiny is certain. No matter what may happen here, our destiny is certain. Paul wrote to those in Thessalonica, and he says, faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Our Destiny is certain, the certainty of our destiny. I like the beautiful picture that one commentator draws. He says this, we, this is a beautiful picture, we are going to stand with Christ at the final press conference of the universe. Just kind of picture that. We're gonna stand with Christ at the final press conference of the universe and our photograph is gonna be taken with him. And we are going to look like him. That's an amazing thing to think about. The final press conference of the whole universe and our photograph is gonna be taken with Jesus right there and we're gonna look like him. The certainty of our destiny is true for every single person who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their rescuer from sin and judgment. So that's the first resource. He's saying, I am praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, the certainty of our destiny. Second resource is also found in verse 18. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I believe the second resource is our glorious inheritance. I am just praying that God would open up your eyes to our glorious inheritance. See, men and women, the thrust of the book of Ephesians is we are packed for our journey through our time on earth to heaven. And that's why Pastor Mark has these multiple trunks up here. Because it's not just a little box that we have. 
It's multiple resources that God has given to us. And our problem in our spiritual life is not that we lack resources and blessings. Our problem tends to be that we're unaware of the resources and blessings that God has given to us, or we sort of know about them, but we've lost sight of them. Lewis Berry Chafer, who is the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary and was one of the great Presbyterian evangelists of his era, liked to say this. He enjoyed saying this. He would often say, the moment that you trusted in Christ, 52 things instantly became true of you. 52 things were introduced into your spiritual account. 52 things the moment you trusted Christ. When we trusted Christ, we were redeemed, we're reconciled, we're forgiven, we're delivered, we're accepted, we're justified, we become citizens of heaven, we become part of the family of God. The moment we trust in Christ, we are declared to be sons and heirs with Christ. We are sanctified, we are cleansed, we are delivered from the law, we are freed from the power of sin. The moment we trust in Christ, we are given a new nature. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can go on and on and on. Do you remember what Paul said back up in verse 3? Remember this? Take a look back at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. What's the verb tense? Of blessed. It is past tense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us past tense at the moment we trusted Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The trunks have already been delivered to us. Peter, when he wrote, he said the same thing, he just worded it differently. He said, we who know Christ now have been granted, past tense, everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. We've already got it. See, men and women, we are not spiritually impoverished, yet Frequently, frequently we live our life like we are. And we've all heard, we've all heard a, a version of this story. You know, it's a story that's a tragic story because you hear the story and you may read about it. And, and here's a person who lived their life in total poverty. And then they die and then it becomes revealed that they actually had hundreds of thousands of dollars of resources or sometimes more than a million dollars of resources. And we think, how tragic to have resources but to be living like you're in total poverty. But that can happen to us in the spiritual realm. Now, how, how do we learn about the riches and the resources that Christ has given to us? How do we learn about it? How do we learn about them? Somebody tell me. How do we learn about them? Read about them 
where? Right here in this book. One of the reasons why Pastor Mark's taking us through Ephesians. It's in the book. This is our listing of the resources. So we have to spend some time in the book to be reminded sometimes or just to discover the resources that we have. Now, there's another way that we learn about these resources and these spiritual riches. He talks about that in here. Remember, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can know. Verse 17, I'm praying that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. The second thing that we can do to learn about the riches is to ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes so that we can see the resources that he's already provided us. So we are looking at knowing our spiritual resources. The first resource he mentions is the certainty of our destiny. The second one is our glorious inheritance. There is a third one that is in verse 19. Look at that. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and thirdly, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The NIV, I think, says that you would know his incomparably great power for us. And so the third resource he mentions here is his great power in us. By the way, this is the resource that he stresses the most because he is going to spend verse 20, 21, 22, and 23, expanding on it. His great power in us. How many people were not alive on May 18th, 1980? Let me see. Some hands. Okay. So a good number of you were not alive on May 18th, 1980. What happened in May 18th, 1980? Well, it happened in the state of Washington. And there was this incredible explosion that happened. 500 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima in Japan in World War II. This explosion ripped 1,200 feet off the top of a 97,000-foot volcano by the name of Mount St. Helens. And when that explosion happened, people heard it 150 miles away. That would be like hearing an explosion in Dallas. You're talking about something that was really powerful. And within hours of that explosion, 150 miles all around, four to six inches of volcanic ash fell on the ground, just like you would have snow. 150 miles all around. Now, I, I had never gone to Mount St. Helens, still never have been to Mount St. Helens, but Mount St. Helens was, oh, they tell me it was prime hunting and prime fishing turf. It was a prime place to go camping and a 
prime place to go hiking. And that blast, that awesome, powerful blast, destroyed 26 lakes, 150 miles of trout streams, and some 200 square miles of habitat. Now, men and women, that's powerful. But the power of God is so much greater than that. And you know what? I, I have to admit to you, that's a little hard for my brain to comprehend. It really is. Are you kidding me? Yeah, God's power is so much past that. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe, that you would just begin to know his great power in us. And he, he talks about three ways his power was displayed. The first one is in verse 20. He says, we can see this power It was this power that raised Christ from the dead. The power he's talking about is the power that tore him out of the grave. And what is amazing is that power is available to you and to me. The second illustration of his power he talks about in verse 20, and that is the power that that seated Christ in the heavenly places. And he goes on to talk about that through verse 21. That's the power that is available. His dominion power is the same power that operates inside of me and inside of you if you know him. You, You know, We get psyched out a lot in our Christian life. We just get psyched out. I mean, I'm just totally inadequate. I can't do it. I, I don't. I, we get psyched out. The third illustration of this power is he says, "This is the power that that made Christ, verse 22, the head over the church." And you know that the church is is a great demonstration of his power. I mean, look at my life. He changed my life. I am not who I was before I intersected with the person of Christ. Look at your life. You're not who you were. And that's what the church is. It's a great demonstration of his power. And there's great diversity in the church. There's people of every race, every background, every nationality, every age. And so all three of these things Make up the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. And men and women, it's it's not a trickling little stream. It's a surging ocean of power. I grew up in two different stretches in New Jersey, not too far from the Jersey Shore, and I many a times walked along the Atlantic Ocean, and if you're ever there when there's that, the surging of the ocean, it's just a powerful, powerful thing. And we have a surging ocean of power that has been provided to us in Jesus Christ. 
You know, more than we want to admit, we are like William Randolph Hearst. Because too often we're operating in our life unaware of resources that we already have. Too often in our Christian life, we're lax at consulting the list. And as I said, maybe you came in today and and you just had this sense of inadequacy in your life. Maybe you have a sense of inadequacy as you've been seeking to endure trouble, hardship, and difficulty in your life. Maybe you feel inadequate because you've just gotten weary of pursuing righteousness, you know, as as the current of our culture is just trying to sweep us away from it. Maybe you came in and you had this sense of inadequacy when it comes to just dealing with, with people in your, and you're saying, you know, when it comes to that person, my patience is tapped out. And that is no doubt true. But his isn't. And you say, well, well Bruce, I, I don't feel that way. But God says, It's true. You have his power. And so what it means is we need to draw upon the power that is in our spiritual account by faith. That's what we need to do. We need to believe him for power in our marriage. And maybe you feel like you've been running uphill and you're not adequate and you're saying, I'm ready to punt this turkey. Any given month, we have, I don't know, a dozen marriages. That's that's what people are feeling. We need to believe him for his power in our marriage. We need to believe him for his power for us on the job, that we can draw upon his strength to, to be the kind of person we should be to honor him with the way that we work. We need to believe him for strength through the trouble and the hardship or maybe the illness that we're facing. We need to believe him for the strength through that. We need to believe him for the strength to deal with the rebellious child that is breaking our heart. Men and women, we cannot exhaust our power account. We can't write too many checks on it. power of God. And it resides inside of us. And it is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're going to to sing a closing song this morning. But while they're coming, what I would like to do is I would like to pray over you. I want to pray like Paul did 21 centuries ago. So let's bow together and pray. Father in heaven, I want to pray for each and every person that's here. Can't name them all. But Father, we would pray that you would give to them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they would know, oh, that they would know what is the hope of his calling 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is, Father, the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe? Father, help us to understand the full extent of your might and power that is at work in us who believe. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the same power that seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. This is the same power that anointed him over everything for the benefit of us, the church. Father, we need to be refreshed and remember that no one is higher than Jesus. No one is greater than you, Jesus. And through your spirit who resides in us, help us to remember that your grace is always enough. And Father, we would pray that you would let my life and our lives forever honor you and forever glorify your name. We pray these things in his name.